Computer Talk Radio. You're in to all things music. Well, music has a educational property to it, mm-hmm. or it can be prophetic. And to me, the prophetic side of music is all the stuff that speaks to the culture, all the stuff that challenges the church to be what it's supposed to be, that, that wakes up people outside of the church to the gospel. But kids' music was cool. Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Welcome, everybody. It's Tuesday. Yay! And here we are again at Intersect at the Intertalk Radio Network. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for going to the archives to listen to uh, shows we've done in the past. And uh, you can leave comments there uh, at the Intertalk Radio link. Uh, Let us know how you feel about the show any suggestions, people we should have on, that sort of thing. Uh, today, my guest is a return artist from last week, um, Mr. John Joseph Thompson. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. Thank you, man. Two hours. That's pretty cool. But, you know, how can you talk about your life in an hour? How can you talk about your life in two hours? Right. It's a challenge, um, especially when Christ intersects Ooh. somewhere. I see what you did there. See what I did there? (laughs) Smooth radio move there. Uh, Anyway, uh, our last segment. Oh, before I do that, thanks to Pitbull Audio Studio Instrument Rentals for their support of Intertalk Radio. And uh, thank you, a personal thank you to the people at um, that drumstick company. They make my drumsticks. Man, that's They're a called innovative percussion. Right I like that. Thank you, dudes. Thank you a lot. Nice. Okay, here we are with John Joseph. Last week we were talking about, uh, we were right at the point where you started True Tunes and the magazine, and uh, you were writing uh, stuff for other bands and mm-hmm. doing that. Why don't you, let's take it up from there. Well, the True Tunes thing was amazing. And uh, it went from, we opened in June of 89, and by the early 90s, it had, 93, 94, the magazine had really come into its own. I was, every time I saw one, I couldn't believe that it was us. Like, it was really nice looking, color, great. All the artists wanted to be involved in it. Some of the things that meant the most to me was when certain artists would comment that they felt that the stories and the coverage that they got in True Tunes was the best the the most honest and most reflective of where their hearts really were at that Mm. meant a ton but then also the mail that we got from people around the world uh 
And it's really about the music that was impacting him. So we were just the middleman. We were the delivery vehicle. Uh, but sometimes our editorials or something like that might've had an impact, but it was really about us providing that bridge that I had talked about mm -hmm. from the, when I was a kid. And so that was a huge honor. So we had the store, we had the magazine, we had the concert venue, uh, we had the mail order company, but then by the mid nineties, a couple of interesting things happened uh, for one thing, that apprehension that a lot of the evangelical church Christian bookstore world had towards rock and roll started to fade away. Um, they started to embrace more extreme kinds of music, more interesting kinds of music, at least enough to dilute our market share, mm -hmm. you know? And again, because my manifesto had been about making the music famous, not about making my business successful. Sometimes the choices that we made weren't necessarily the best business choices. But uh, for instance, when we decided to let Christian bookstores get boxes of our magazines to sell or, or basically to give away. And all we charged them was the cost of postage for us. It was just cool to have 20, 30,000 copies of the magazine going out to 200 Christian bookstores. Right. What we didn't realize was we were planting the seeds of our own eventual destruction because <laughs> now, uh, Adam again and, and Daniel Amos and, uh, prayer chain and jars of clay. And a lot of these bands that had been harder to find were suddenly available <clears throat> everywhere and these stores were using true tunes as their marketing vehicle but they were selling the records mm -hmm. instead of true tunes selling the records so ultimately big picture great awesome things are growing the church is kind of at least some segment of the christian community is starting to wake up to the idea that there's more to christian music than just either worship music or youth group choruses that there's a valid place for spiritually provocative interesting faith focused whatever Mm-hmm. So that's great. Bad news was once they didn't have to come to us to buy the records, our business model went sideways in a hurry <laughs> because we weren't selling the tonnage that we had been selling. And we were operating everything on such thin margins anyway that over the span of a – and that the other thing was a couple of the record companies, more than a couple of the record companies, would just decide not to pay their bills to True Tunes that, for their ads and things like that. So wow. we went from being profitable and in the black and growing and – everything to being underwater in a, less than a year, we were seriously underwater. Huh. And so the, and this is how, after how many years of probably successful, this would have been around 95 is when it really hit the fan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, six years in, um, and in the process, a company from out East heard about us. They were a publishing company, like a, a magazine publishing company. And they really liked the magazine and they started to talk to us about, acquiring true tunes news the magazine part of what we did which eventually evolved into them essentially buying the whole company so they bought true tunes from phil tasketa who was the original owner and for me i was a i was a theoretical owner <laughs> but i hadn't really you know you know how that works so mm -hmm. um the plans had been for that company to franchise the store to uh really really, really um have true tunes music departments in other places like hmm. small kiosks in other stores. The idea was to bring in this consultant who had worked with mainstream magazines, uh, to take true tunes, news magazine, mainstream to newsstands and all that kind of stuff. So it was big plans. The market was really starting to open up. So groups that had been very underground were starting to get more of a foothold. The Christian community was interested in this music, but also we were finding that more and more people in the mainstream were starting to become interested. Little 
did we know in a couple of years after this was when that flood of Sixpence and P.O.D. and Switchfoot and all these bands from our world started to have major traction in the mainstream. So mm-hmm. this company had those kinds of goals in mind. But um, uh, one thing, I don't know what happened for what they were thinking, but within one year, the whole thing was over. They basically had shut everything down. So um, wow. <laughs> True Tunes went from, and, and this was particularly difficult for me because so much of my identity was wrapped up in this thing that when it went south and it was over, I just was devastated. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely devastated. Had they sh- set up shop anywhere else? No. Oh, so no. still in the planning mode. It was, my my guess was that this was in the days of Amazon's launch and everybody was talking about how this Amazon.com thing was going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the folks really expected the TrueTunes.com, which was, had, was just launching, that really that would become the mothership and all of the energy would come from the dot-com and that it would just make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, truetunes.com did really well. It actually had a bigger impact than the store or the magazine did for quite a while. Yeah. But making money off the Internet was still really difficult to do. So um, they just shut everything down and focused on the dot-com, and then eventually they sold the company again to some people from Texas who bought it for a fraction of what the other people had paid for it. So now I'm still kind of attached to it because I was the face of True Tunes and I was the, the figurehead, but I really had lost all of my authority or, or ownership of it. Mm-hmm. I was just a symbol and I was writing articles for the website. There was no print magazine anymore. There was no uh, physical location and it was just a really hard few years, <laughs> really, really hard. And then ironically, that's when a lot of our music, our tribe of music really blew up in the, and started to sell a ton. Mm. So, but we, we were, we, we had opened the door. We had been a part of that process and then we had become the doormat. <laughs> so, uh, um, to, thank you very much, <laughs> young man. <laughs> yes. And it was very, very hard, uh, to, to see that happen. I think I've learned about myself that I don't step away from things very well. I think God has to sometimes rip things from my, cold dead fingers and um now i see that as a chapter in my life that it wasn't my whole identity there was more for me to do and be mm-hmm. and i i just needed that to go away mm-hmm. then i ended up ironically i don't know if i keep using that word i don't know if i'm using it properly actually but in 2000 when the third owners of true tunes told me that they just didn't have enough money to pay me anymore i kind of got laid off from my own company mm-hmm. uh I didn't know what I was going to do. I started talking to people in Nashville and I just didn't have a sense that it was the right time for us to move to Nashville. And I wasn't interested in the mainstream Christian music industry at all. Um, but I just didn't know. And then Glenn Kaiser actually came and spent, uh, we did a show, Michelle and I, my wife and I opened for Glenn at our church, the warehouse church in Aurora, where I was one of the pastors. And, um, we opened for him, but I was really upset. Like I was going right through the middle of this, like it was being ripped apart and mm. Glenn knew me well enough to know something was wrong. And after the show, he and Wendy spent the night at our house and he said, well, why don't we go get the girls some ice cream and they'll hang out at the house. So then Glenn came with me in the car and he was like, what's going on? <laughs> he really pushed me mm-hmm. and I told him everything and the ice cream talk, <laughs> the ice cream talk. That's how we did it. <laughs> and, um, I told him the whole thing and he was, he was, you know, devastated too. He was really like the empathy he had and the encouragement he had was exactly what I needed. I needed to be able to be vulnerable and 
share this with somebody. I felt like a failure. I felt like uh, a fool, uh, all these things. And he didn't have any simple platitudes for me. Didn't have any easy answers, but he did pray for me. And then when we went back to the house, they, they spent the night in the morning, I made them some really nice oatmeal. And then they went back down to Chicago to Japusa. A couple hours later, I get back to my office and my office was about the size of a phone booth. And it was this little nook in our church building and it was the true tunes world had been reduced to that yeah. and um, i had a fax machine and i had my email account and i had a pager at that point point. and when i got to my office my pager has the main number for japusa showing up on it i got an email from john heron at who was the drummer for as and cornerstones director and then i saw a fax sitting on there that said in handwritten john call me john heron and i was like oh no i had this moment of panic thinking something had happened to glenn or something like mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on and i called him and he said he said you're not going to believe this but we were having this board meeting and glenn wasn't there because he was at your place but he was on his way and i had just got done sharing that uh you know cornerstone needed some help and we needed to think about hiring an outside person to come in and help with things like sponsorships and things like you know and somebody had asked him well you know who would they like and he said well somebody like john thompson but he certainly isn't available well then a few minutes later glenn gets into the meeting he's like guys can we take a minute and pray john's just lost his job and he's <laughs> it was like so john heron was like dude call me right away yeah so the next oh, day i i got on a train and i went down to chicago and met with them and they hired me to join the festival staff full time <laughs> and so then that whole chapter opened up and i basically I, and it was also the same day that U2's album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, came out, and it was Halloween. And AOL was playing Night of the Living Dead in, a, like, a tiny little postage stamp size black and white movies. They were streaming. It was the first time a movie was being streamed on online. So I'm watching this zombie movie. I'm listening to the, All That You Can't Leave Behind, and God's definitely sending me a message, like, it's time to walk away from this thing. Like, it's mm-hmm. done. It's over, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And... That led to Cornerstone for several years. And then Cornerstone basically had the same problem True Tunes did because a lot of the bands that used to only play at Cornerstone were suddenly playing at all of the Christian festivals and a lot of the music that you could only find at Cornerstone. So even though nothing compared to Cornerstone, the other regional festivals were close enough that groups were finding it harder to justify driving all the way to Cornerstone and spending right. that extra money. Right. So, so Cornerstone event when it's went its way as well, but I got to be the main stage MC for the last 10 or 12 years or so and got to play main stage as Larry Norman's band you know these things are not lost on me the irony it was like I went from being the kid in the front row of the 77 show at 84 saying this is my life like I, I'm running away with this circus this is this is what I'm gonna do <laughs> and and then for the last 10 years of it I was I was the you know the MC there and one of the best compliments I ever got was when uh, somebody in the audience came up to me and said, you know what I love about when you're up on stage introducing the bands and all stuff is that you don't hide your exuberance and the thrill of being a fan of this stuff. Like I couldn't hide it. I was just kind of, I was representing the audience up on stage. I was all of them. Yeah. And I didn't realize I was doing that, but that was, that was a, a really special time. And then that ship hit an iceberg. And it was time to dream it all up again. Wow. Yeah, I never I never thought about Cornerstone <clears throat> being affected by all the other festivals that started to happen. Yeah. You know. I don't think you know, in 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 the other world when bands 
uh, go out and tour, they have to sometimes sign a clause, a distance. Yeah, just call yeah, it, proximity clause. Yeah, proximity clause. But I didn't think that was happening in CCM. Because, well, certainly Cornerstone would have never asked anybody to do that. Right, that right. wasn't their Because, you know, we, we needed and wanted to play anywhere we could, you know. Right. If we played next door one night and then walked down the street the next night and played, that'd been fine with us. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just never figured their demise in in that. Well, but, the, you know, the thing about the festival model is it's so expensive to put that thing on mm-hmm. that you need people to come from a wide range to right. to have enough critical mass. But the other thing is that Cornerstone was unique in that it was not ever run as a business. And as an employee who went in there and looked at it, the decision-making was always driven by creating the best possible experience and reaching as many people as possible. Hmm. So whenever they made a profit, they turned around and figured out, how could we spend this money to make something a little bit better? Mm-hmm. And so they'd put in more roads or they'd rent more porta-potties and you know, they'd spend whatever money to make the experience better. And that was not the way most businesses would have run it. Right. And so you had those two factors at play. You had a not business driven, not profit driven MO and you had ticket prices being high. And now all of a sudden the market being eroded a little bit. And mm-hmm. those things just played together in a way that got them in a hole they couldn't recover from. Yeah. The sad thing was the last year was smaller. Nobody got paid to play there. There was only a couple of stages. It was amazing. It was so great. Really? It was like, oh, if it could have only been like this for the last 10 years, like if they, if there was a way to have done that. And I think that's kind of what the audio feed guys are trying to, to replicate is that smaller, intimate kind of thing. So well, that's off to them for trying. I look forward to going there. Folks, my guest is John Joseph Thompson. We're going to take a pause and introduce you to our sponsors and other programs here on the InterTalk Radio Network. We'll be right back. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Hi, I'm Tim Dolbear, the host of Sound Experience on Intertalk Radio. Each week, I talk with top professional audio engineers, producers, musicians, and the manufacturers that make the tools that we use in the studio each and every day. From capturing the perfect take to mastering your final release and the tools and how the pros use them, we are going to dive deep into their process and learn from their experience. I look forward to you joining us each week on Sound Experience with me, your host, Tim Dolbear. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al Di Miola, 
Michael McDonald and Al Giroux, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Yeah, blessed is the name of the Lord forever. That's music by uh, the Wayside Band, uh, led by my guest today, Mr. John Joseph Thompson. And before the break, um, we were just right at the end of Cornerstone. And, um, man, I'm excited for you to tell the people just what transpired after that. (laughs) Man, that was just about as devastating as when true tunes ended, but so in, in, um, Oh, I guess it would have been about 2009. No, no, no. Uh, 2006, the festival had been losing money for a couple of years and they came to me actually Oh five and said after one particularly rough year, uh, they couldn't afford to keep me, but they also couldn't afford to lose me because <laughs> I ended up making more money than I cost, you know, over, cause I, managed all the sponsorships and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, then why don't I just go build my own company again and you guys can be my first client. And so I started, I just went back and built something new called gyroscope. And it was basically, uh, it was the weirdest, funnest season though. Cause I had cornerstone as a client. And so some income coming from that, but then for big chunks of the year, there wasn't a whole lot to do with cornerstone. And then I took on HM magazine. My friend Doug Van Pelt had this Christian heavy metal magazine they needed help with advertising sales. So I took over that. Um, I also scored a ballet for some friends who had a dance school in Chicago and mm-hmm. needed music for a ballet. So I learned how to, uh, with a kid from our church, learned how to use a program called reason. And I scored the entire thing with him and we made a, it was bizarre. It was fun. <laughs> but it was like, I kind of say yes well, to things and then figure out how to do them, how later. To do them yeah, later. Yeah. That's what I was doing. I produced a kid's record for Toby Max label goatee. I actually came down to town here and spent, several months before we lived here and produced this kid's record, which has still never been released. We're hoping to actually release it for its own 15th anniversary <laughs> because what happened was, um, well, amongst other things, the music industry itself was about to get kicked in the teeth. Yeah. And, uh, I was dabbling on the fringes of the industry, but I was never really in the belly of the beast. And this 
kids record was these, there was these records in the seventies when I was a kid called uh, music machine and bullfrogs and butterflies. They were really cool kids records. And I always felt like they had kind of fallen into obscurity and that our kids liked them, but maybe they could be updated. And so this record was a tribute to those and it, and it had Phil Keggy on it and Matt Slocum from Sixpence on the Richer and David Miner. And, um, it was an amazing band. And, uh, I was so happy to produce a record in a real studio with great, uh, it was a whole other thing. It was so fun. And then they wanted me to actually create a whole kid's label for goatee. So I hmm. was in pre-production to do five more records of different types of things. And I love, I always felt like kids music was one of the places where Christian music in quotes actually makes sense. Like to me, Christian music is either worship music. It's sacramental. It's designed for worship or it could be educational, like, you know, for, for children or even youth groups or parents like, but it's as an educational music has a educational property to it, Mm -hmm. or it can be prophetic. And to me, the prophetic side of music is all the stuff that speaks to the culture, all the stuff that challenges the church to be what it's supposed to be that, that wakes up people outside of the church to the gospel. So CCM music to me often didn't feel like it fit any of those three categories. It it was like entertaining Christians in a safe way. And that's just never, that was never interesting or exciting to me, but kids music was cool. And so goatee wanted me to do this whole kids thing. And then I literally shut down all of the other aspects of my business and Mm -hmm. focused just on that. And then the sky fell on the music industry and they just didn't have the income because all of a sudden nobody was buying music or just the sales were, were falling off a cliff. So you never did another kid's record? No. And the one that I did has never been released. Mm-hmm. Still. So the, uh, so that was in 06 or actually, yeah, I've did, I've worked on the record in 04 and 05 and we were trying to get it out. And, um, and then in 06, I got sick. I ended up having an internal bleeding thing where just out of nowhere, I almost bled to death and I ended up in an induced coma for a few days and nearly died, probably should have died. It was even the doctors were saying they have no idea how. Probably should have. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Had there not been some sort of intervention, I, I certainly would have. Um, oh, wow, it, it man, was, that's, that's wacky. That's... Yeah, it was pretty rough and it, it devastated me financially because it took me, I was self-employed and I was just working on all these projects and all of them stopped. So there was no income. I lost all this business. Then this model, this kid's label uh, was faltering. They weren't, they weren't going to be able to do it the way they thought. Mm -hmm. But after I didn't die, um, my wife and I had had several opportunities over the years. People had reached out to me about would I be interested in moving to Nashville? And I, always very quickly said no way not not into it and then something changed and we were leading a home group in our in our house part of our church in aurora and had really experienced how important community is and how important it is to have a small enough number of people in your life that actually can read your mail that actually know what's going on in your life Mm. And it was so transformative for us as we went through these tragedies and trials to have people to lean on. And then for us to be the people that others could lean on that to me, it reshaped my whole concept of what church should be. Like Mm -hmm. it literally turned it all upside down. And, and, um, we started to encounter friends here in Nashville who we'd known for years who just story after story of broken marriages and suicides and, 
addiction and loneliness. And uh, we didn't feel called to come to Nashville to like plan a church or anything like that. We just felt like we had some relationships and we had learned something about community. We were from a non-churchy culture and the South is so churchy, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I think it actually works against true community. Like there's this facade people have to put up. There's this, uh, I don't know. It's just because it's part of the dominant culture. You don't have to be as real. It's easier to fake it. So we decided both of us on our own and we came together. I was really nervous to bring it up. And then it turns out her heart was already moving towards that. We had been traveling around going to Europe on missions trips and different things. We'd go anywhere God called us, but Nashville. And so when that changed (laughs) and we said, well, maybe we're supposed to move to Nashville. Yeah. um, It just immediately the door started flying open and, so the one meeting where I came, the one day I came down to Nashville to meet with the goatee guys about setting up this, I said, we're going to move to town, which they had wanted me to anyway. And I said, we're going to move to East Nashville. I found a house with a cool garage out back. I'm going to make it the studio. And they said, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like everything's on pause. The music industry is falling apart right now. Mm-hmm. There's no money. And I was devastated. And the next meeting I had after the meeting with goatee was with this Eddie DeGarmo, the guy that I mentioned was the first Christian music I'd ever heard. And he had read my other book raised by wolves and i'd met him in la at some meetings and so i was having lunch with eddie i had to kind of suck up this frustration and disappointment over finding out that all of these plans that i had made with with goatee were not going to be able to happen and then have lunch with eddie and it turns out in lunch he's telling me about music publishing and about the company that he was leading over at capital which then emi and by the end of lunch he's like you know i've got this position open and i don't know you know maybe you'd be interested in this. And I, I was not the slightest bit interested. I was like, <laughs> what is happening here? And I totally did not handle it well. Um, he said, well, if you're interested, why don't you come by and meet the staff before you head home to Chicago? And I said, oh, maybe I will. I'll pray about it, which of course is Christian speak for, you know, forget about it. Um, and then I called Michelle and I told her and, and she said, well, you're going to go meet those people, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not going to go there. Like they'll trick me into working for this big, like, that's the man. I don't want to work. With and she, she's on the phone with me and she's like, what's wrong with you? She just completely cuts her. She's like, what is your problem? Like, don't you see this? Are you so blinded? And I was like, well, uh, okay, I'll go meet him. And then the next day I went and met him and I immediately felt like God was saying, Hey, this is the next chapter. You're going to work for a company where you got to show up in the morning and you got to put in requests for time off and you're going to have bosses that are going to hold you accountable. Um, but you're going to learn a lot and mm-hmm. this is going to be a good season. And so it wasn't immediate and I almost blew it because my, my hang with them, I, I presumed that the job was mine if I wanted it, which, which, which was, it was not. And so I almost blew it, but I had to, you're one of many candidates. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I, I honestly thought that they had already decided it was just one. Of, I'd never interviewed for a job in my life. I'd built every job I'd ever had, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was my second or first second job interview and I was 37 years old. So almost blew it. But fortunately Eddie had mercy on me and gave me a second try. And I ended up working there for nine years and in the publishing department at what was the biggest company in Christian music. And it was not something I saw coming, um, but I learned a ton and I enjoyed most of it. The last half of that time, they moved me almost entirely into working with black gospel songwriters and then I did music supervision on some films, which I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, 
but it was a, it was wild to be in that. But a lot of the skills I had learned uh, as a wild animal out of my own had actually proven to be kind of useful as music publishing was evolving and changing and becoming more important part of the music mix Mm -hmm. that a lot of artists didn't understand. And I could, I could communicate about that, but working in gospel music to me was a lot of fun, more fun than CCM stuff because I don't know, gospel music's just a little bit more honest. It's kind of like, there's no trickery. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to sing you a gospel song right now. I'm not going to sing you a positive (laughs) pop song. I'm not going to, there's no question about about, to get down. (laughs) Like, is this song about Jesus or about a girl? No, no, you never have that kind of questions. It's like, this is gospel music. And I had been a fan of gospel music since I was a little kid. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And my roster was amazing. It was like Kirk Franklin and John P. Key and Fred Hammond and, Marvin Sapp. It was like, it was the 93 bulls of gospel music was my roster for the last four or five years. I was at Capitol. And now I, what I'm doing at E1 is helping them build a new publishing company for gospel music and a little bit uh, in the mainstream as well. What is 81? E1. E1. E1 is entertainment one. It's a, it's a major film and TV company, but they happen to own uh, several music divisions. And one of them is the Nashville division actually is uh, home of, a lot light records. So one of the like Andre Crouch's whole record uh, catalog was at light and, hmm. and um, Edwin Hawkins. And, and then in the eighties and nineties, they had big stuff. And now they've actually got Jonathan McReynolds and Todd Delaney and some really, you know, the new Ricky Dillard record and Hezekiah Walker last year had a big record. So they're a, they're one of the big three gospel labels, but they haven't had a publishing, an active publishing company. So I've been helping them build a publishing company. So working with just a handful of gospel songwriters, uh, Jason Claiborne, who wrote Hezekiah's song last year, better been able to bring him to town to write with worship writers and CCM writers. And, uh, he's just an amazing talent. So I'm still in the gospel world, uh, quite a bit. And then I met Trevecca and, and then I freelance, like I produced a cool roots gospel record last summer and had you play on it. Yeah, man, it was very cool. <laughs> I just heard it again. Saturday. We, we rehearsed it. Saturday. Oh, did you? Yeah, because um, at, at Audio Feed, we're going to play the album in its entirety. Mm-hmm. From start to finish. That was fun, man. Yeah. Was, you know, wait ha- for everybody to hear I it. think I told you this before, but John P. Key's older brother mm-hmm. was is one of my best friends. Wow. In Durham, North Carolina. And uh, his name is Al, Alfonso. And uh, I used to go by their house. To pick up Al when we'd hang wow. up, and and John was always being drugged to church by his grandma. You know, <laughs> grandma had his hand dragging him to the car. Charlie knows John as well. Yeah, they yeah, through some... Al because Is that through Al? Okay. yeah because Al. Well, it's a long story, but Al knows Charlie from living in Sacramento. Okay, well, you know it was amazing when I, so John P. Key I, when I when Universal Records bought EMI and created Capital Christian Music Group. The gospel roster had all these universal writers, and then what had previously been the EMI roster mashed together, which is why the gospel roster there was so big. Mm. And one of them was John P. Key. Well, there's lots of others. And so for the first couple of years of that, I was basically going around and trying to reacquaint or connect with these gospel writer artists. A lot of them were upset with how things had gone down, bad deals in the past. And my job was just to kind of make things and fix broken relationships, which I actually really found a lot of meaning in. So spending time with Andre Crouch, spending time with Kirk Franklin, spending time with these people, 
But John Key was the one person, he was the last one. He just would not respond to me. Like I could not get it. So finally I, I kind of, uh, well, it turns out that Ty Tribbett and a couple other people were performing in Charlotte. And I said, I need to go to that show because I'm going to go meet John Key at his church. And so then he couldn't avoid me. <laughs> like, I said, hey, I'm coming to your church. I'm going to come say hi. in Charlotte? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's Charlotte, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I went and met with him. And for the first 45 minutes, I was just explaining what I do and that I wasn't there to sell anything. There was no deal to negotiate. I was just there to serve. My job was to help him. What did he need? And after he kind of realized that, he said a couple things. One is he said nobody from his publisher had ever come to him before. So that spoke to him, and that meant a lot to me. The other thing, though, is after we after a couple hours of hanging out and we were really getting along, he said, man, i got to show you a picture. And he gets out his iPad. And he's flipping through, and he finds this old grainy black and white picture of this skinny white dude in a, a tank top up to his waist in water. He said, do you know who this is? I said, no, sir, I don't. And he goes, that's my great-grandfather. I was like, really? And he goes, do you know what his name is? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He goes, his name is John Thompson. <laughs> really? Like, he goes, so we're family. And I said, that's <laughs> right, man. And I said, he's somewhere back in my lineage. There's some African-American blood for sure. We know that. Um, we don't have a picture. We don't have mm-hmm. a name. But uh, but he then the rest of the time introduced me to his sisters and everybody else at the church as his cousin. <laughs> so that was great. It was just, it's a huge honor to work with, with people like that. that yeah. Um, I, I love it. That's great, man. Yeah. Wow. I haven't seen John in a long time. Man, that guy can play the yeah, piano. He can. He's he got can. a whole instrumental record done that's just him playing piano. And it, I've heard bits of it. I, I hope he releases it at some point because it's fantastic. Wow. No vocals at all? I think it was just instrumental piano stuff. And mostly improvised live in the studio with a small band. Man, that's killer. Yeah. So it's weird. I did not expect to find myself in the spot that I'm in, that's for sure. Not complaining. Not complaining, baby. It's been good. We'll be back, folks, with my guest, John Joseph Thompson, right after a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Tim Dolbear, host of Sound Experience here on InterTalk Radio. And Source Connect by Source Element is the essential tool that we use to link between my studio in Austin, Texas, and the WS radio station in San Diego. Now, with Source Connect, not only can we communicate in real time and with HD audio, but it's synced up and is of a high enough quality that I can use it for real-time ADR work, remote recording and overdubbing, and it even allows me to remotely control a DAW. Source Connect by Source Element, affordable, high-quality audio and video connection over the Internet for all of your production needs. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on InterTalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Make this your vinyl night. I'm John J.R. Robinson, and every week, music creation comes alive through stories, experiences, and sounds when vinyl records filled our hearts and minds. My friends and I share our tips and techniques used in creation of iconic tracks for recording artists such as Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Quincy Jones, and Steve Winwood, to name a few. Vinyl has emerged hot, and the soul of vinyl defines art and passion, which burns deepest at night. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on entertalkradio.com. 
Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. for hanging in there with us and listening to the show and um, it's been a great two segments we've had already and Mm -hmm. time is flying by Um, so I'd like for John to give you guys all of his contact information because I don't want to squeeze that in at the end (laughs) so John tell us how we can it's funny I don't remember what movie it is but there's some movie where I feel like it's Drew Barrymore who says we've developed all these abilities to be rejected by people like 10 times in a row. So there's, here's all the ways you can ignore me. Um, Twitter is John J Thompson. I appreciate you calling me John Joseph Thompson this whole time. That's usually what my mom would call me when I was in trouble. Right. <laughs> so I've, Boy, get over here. That's um, a long name, dude. Well, you know, there's other John Thompson's and I definitely <laughs> had to differentiate myself. Um, so uh, Twitter is John J Thompson. Instagram is the only JJT. Uh, Facebook is John Joseph Thompson. That's my personal one. And then there's a JJT page as well uh, mm. for that kind of stuff. The The website, you can go to either jesusbreadchocolate.com or johnjthompson.com. But the book is available through me if you get it from the website. Um, and I can sign it for you or whatever. Um, there's a couple other things there. But then also it's available at Amazon and all those kinds of places. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So uh, speaking of the book and, and the present, um What's going on with you right now? It's interesting. I The book came out right when I was still at Capitol. I had stored up a bunch of vacation days, so I did a whole book tour um, where I did about, I don't know, 50, 60 different events over the course of, of the year that it came out a couple years ago. Um, and the book, I wrote it while I was still working full time. I just worked on it in the weekends and the evenings and stuff, but it really goes back about 10 years talking to friends and making observations about as the certain aspects of our culture seem to be moving backwards on the technological scale people were trying. And I was even personally going from, you know, wanting things to be as fast and convenient and reproducible as possible to being more handcrafted. And I didn't connect those things to my spirituality at first. I just thought it was a hobby or like, you know, home brewing beer or, roasting coffee or Mm -hmm. cooking at home 
um, I started to realize it really was connected to a longing for uh, a spiritual authenticity, something that was, uh, like I said before, community driven. And so all these conversations kind of coalesced into this book of Jesus bread and chocolate, which turned into a, a really fun tour where I did things like speaking at breweries, speaking at churches, speaking at coffee shops, speaking at chocolate factories, speaking in people's homes, uh, libraries, bookstores, pubs. We even did two Ireland trips. Michelle and I got to go do some of our music because we still perform and um, we're long overdue for a new record. I'm really hoping to get a new Wayside project happening soon, uh, probably a few songs at a time. The album days seem to be over <laughs> in the way, yeah. the way the music yeah. works these days, but something soon. And uh, But as the book tour was winding down, uh, so was my time at Capitol. So my previous boss had retired and then after uh, shortly after he retired, most of his team was laid off and you know, that's kind of what happened. So, um, uh, I was back to free agent status trying to figure out what I was going to do. And, um, E1 reached out to me pretty quickly and we started talking about doing this publishing thing, but then Treveca reach out. And again, it goes back to Eddie DeGarmo because Eddie called me and said, would you be interested in having lunch with some guys at Treveca? And I was like, why would I want to do that? I mean, I have nothing against Treveca, but I don't really know much about it. So I went and met with them and they just blew me away. Like their heart for the city, their heart for justice issues, their heart for discipleship. Um, they were bringing all of their music programs together under an umbrella. Uh, they hmm. had been operating separately for a long time. So it was going to be the new Treveca school of music and worship arts under that banner. There's national praise and worship Institute, which is a, two-year certificate program specifically for worship leaders, people that want to get, it's like a boot camp for that. And it can also be an associate's degree depending on which classes they take. Then there's a regular music major. So you could be an instrumental focus. You could be a singer, you could be a songwriter, but there's a whole music program there. And there's a worship arts, which is really more of a theology program. So people that are going to be arts pastors, so they're going to have a, a whole different level of teaching when it comes to theology and, um, it's a really cool program. Mm. All of that got united under that banner, and they, they reached out to me to become the associate dean of that. So my job as associate dean of the School of Music and Worship Arts there is to serve as a connecting point between the school and the music industry and the larger Nashville community and national music community uh, and to find opportunities for the students. So I do some I do an artist development program with one student at a time. I do uh, special speaking at different classes here and there. It's been just awesome. I, I love it. We just opened a new building and um, it's just, it's right in the heart of downtown Nashville. Mm -hmm. It's, it's working with college students who haven't screwed everything up yet. So it's kind of like fresh clay as opposed to you know, a lot of, a lot of us right. <laughs> that are right. working around various injuries, <laughs> physical right. and other way. Scars and bruises. Yeah. But it's been great. I love it. I've been there about a year and a half and, and then I always do something else. I always am writing something or producing something or, I've always got a third thing going on. I don't mm -hmm. do free time very well. Like I fill everything up because mm -hmm. I don't know. I get bored if I'm sitting still too long. You sang, uh, take me out to the ball game the other night. <laughs> I did. At the sounds game. I did. I, I they, like, I, they have me coming back to do it again next week. Really? I was going <laughs> yeah. like, dude, how do you get that? How did yeah. you get that? Well, Treveca is a sponsor for their faith and family night. And so they, Treveca had me come out to speak. There's a concert before the game. So I was there for the concert and I spoke a little bit, just a little bit about what Trebekah does. And then they asked me if I would do the, oh, 
seventh Who's inning Spencer? start. It was Jason Gray that time. Yeah, they have they have four of these over the season. So next Tuesday, well, I don't know if it's next Tuesday or not. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I will be doing it again, and um, it was really fun. And I have my oldest son. I'll have my youngest son with me the next time. Um, but yeah, that was hilarious. That was one of those things. Like, how do you how do you get here, Thompson? <laughs> I'm like uh, Forrest mm. Gump or something. <laughs> just... No, I'm Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Zelig. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I read in the uh, Trevecan. Oh yeah. That's called. Yeah. That Degarmo just graduated. He did. Yeah. Was really cool. I was yeah. sitting up there with the faculty watching him go up and get his papers. That was very cool. Yeah. He promised his mom he would do it. Mm-hmm. He was almost done uh, when DeGarmo and Key really got some traction and he decided he needed to focus on that. And he was, I think, I forget how many credits he was, you know, less than a year away from graduation. And he promised his mom he would, he would do that. And so everything just for him, the, the band, his story is incredible. His book, when that's out, everybody needs to read that book it's amazing i've been helping him with it so i've had the privilege of reading it um it's just incredible his story of growing up in memphis and then starting a christian rock band when the concept like they didn't know if it had ever been done before and so and then how he transitioned from from rock music to a little bit more pop oriented kind of music and then how he transitioned from that to publishing and the music business and it's just a really cool story and now he's retired and he's finished this book and he's finished his college degree and you know he's learned how to play accordion he's my he's my hero <laughs> so and i got to have a, i got to put together a band of faculty people at a recent event at treveca mm-hmm. honoring some of the uh supporters of the school and we covered a degarmo and key song every moment i got to sing that for for eddie in front of the whole room which was another one of those how did you get here thompson kind of moments yeah. <laughs> cool. i think you need to talk to eddie and tell him how great it would be for me him and jimmy abeg to play together oh yeah audio feed oh well i mean i think that he w- would love to play with you guys at some point because he had a lot of fun in the studio that was yeah he played on sean michelle's record as well yeah that's we didn't even mention that that's what we've been talking about I realize we've talked about this record, but we didn't really say oh, Sean yes. Michelle. Did we? <laughs> a, little, a little ditty we did. So last everybody year. needs to check out Sean Michelle. This record is not out yet, but it is it's fantastic. You guys killed it. You know what it's going to be called? You don't know. Parentheses. What the Lord, what the Lord has done, done for, for me. me. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty rocking, folks. We did You're it all have live. To have him on the show. Hmm? You should have him on the show. Well, he won't come until the record's out. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to pull this X. Matter of fact, that's how I got this show. Really? By trying to get him on another show on the InterTalk Radio Network. The CEO <laughs> of InterTalk does a show called The Changing Stage. Wow. And I told him about Sean, and I told Sean about him, and it's like, dude, you got to do this show, you know? And uh, he never would call Florentino. So I got him again. He never called. So I called Florentino to apologize. And Florentino goes, yeah, it's all right, brother. It's all right. But, you know, I've been thinking. (laughs) Maybe you should have a show. There you go. And I was, like, silent for maybe 30 seconds. And I went, okay. (laughs) 
sure. Were you? Were you? How do you do that? Yeah, figure it out as you go. Just say yes and then learn. That's what my mind. Were you at our house when Sean played in the backyard a couple? Of years no, ago? I wasn't. You know that it was exactly a year to the day after he played a show on a Sunday afternoon in our backyard, just seven minute walk from here, and pulled together a little gospel choir from some local church, and it was so much fun. It was so crazy hot. And we realized it was, ex- and that day I told him, you need to do a gospel, gospel record, like a old school gospel record. Mm-hmm. I started sending him some examples of stuff. And then he asked me to produce it. Well, when we were in the studio with you and Jimmy working on that record, it was exactly one year to the day from when he played really? in the backyard. And now it'll be one year to the day when he finally gets the record released. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that's how, you know, good things come to them. Uh, yeah, it's got to be released at Audio Feed. Yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be his debut. I've, I'm as proud of that as anything I've ever had my hands on. I think it just was really fun. Are you writing liner notes yeah, for that? I am. Cool. Yeah. Have you ever, have you already started writing or? I've done research and I've, I've got my bullet points, but I had other things I needed to finish mm-hmm. writing because I, you know, it's how deadlines, man, because yeah. <laughs> I got to have a deadline and then I get stuff done. Yeah. So what are you doing this summer? Well, uh, we'll have a little bit of vacation time take at least a, a week off in july so we'll be up at the audio feed festival i'll speak and i'll MC, and then the wayside will play a short set probably before sean and before the gospel night there um i'm really hoping to spend some time writing and getting my songs together so that we can start to record some new wayside stuff mm-hmm. um there's other projects there's a film that has asked me to possibly serve as music supervisor and kind of a script consultant um that should be shooting in august uh, that's going to be really fun. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's about a Christian heavy metal band in 1986 who goes off on the road and the wheels fall off. It's really funny. And, uh, it's not a Christian movie per se. It's a, it's a romantic comedy, but it just with a really funny context. But, um, so, and then there's a story that I've been working on that's more of a novel and it might get turned into a screenplay first because this company's interested in maybe doing that. So I, I've got to figure out, I have to decide which am I going to focus on, write this novel, write this next book. I I still do speaking at different conferences and at churches and events and stuff. Um, And then I've got two full-time jobs. So ask me in August what's the size. (laughs) But I will take a week uh, off in July. What's the novel about? Man, it is, I've been telling this story for so many years. It started in a road trip when I was with a bunch of guys and I was trying to stay awake cause I was driving and I had this concept and I just verbally told the story for about three hours and really fell in love with it. Um, I won't say the title because I have to clear it with some people, but it's based on people I've met in East Nashville or in other places. And it's about four old, four, four senior citizens, each with an interesting background, all based on real people, but the story I've completely made up, but it's about reconciliation. It's about, uh, generational reconciliation, community reconciliation, a little bit about gentrification, kind of what's happened here in East Nashville mm-hmm. and the displacement of people who called this home for a long time. Um, it's, it's basically, there's, there's, uh, there's an African American singer, an old white guy who plays country guitar and a Hispanic guy and they start a band and they're all in their seventies. Killer. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be That's fun. That's great. And it's right here in Nash, and it takes place in East Nashville. The whole thing will be, set right in our wow that's great man maybe you'll be in it maybe i'll be in it i could be an old can you act i I act all day (laughs) every day ask my wife learn it later (laughs) 
but uh okay man this has been a great um uh, two hours spent with you john yeah i really appreciate it it's yeah thanks for coming and uh sharing your life with us stories and your wisdom and whatever you do this summer we know it's going to be exciting because god's on your side and he does some really crazy things with you <laughs> that's for sure yeah that's great thank you man yeah thank you folks thanks for listening in We'll be back next week. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Hi, this is Tim Dolbear from Eclectica Studios. I'm a full-time mixing and recording engineer. I work with Grammy winners, labels, and indie artists using state-of-the-art digital mixing and restoration tools and the very best in analog gear. Really, though, it's my ability to bring tracks to life and fulfill your vision for your music. This has made me sought after by producers and artists worldwide. So spend your time working on music and not chasing a mix down a rabbit hole. Go to timdolbear.com and check out our free one-song mix offer. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com.